Learn to recognize the voice of your Heavenly Father and come to know Him as your dearest friend. He wants to give you wisdom, understanding, and revelation for every area of your life. Mark Verkler, president of the Communion with God Ministries and Christian Leadership University, who is going to teach us how to hear the voice of God. Mark, would you come on up, please? Thank you very much. Good evening. It's good to be together in the, together in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Some of you have already been through the course Communion with God. If you've already been through it, would you uh, say amen? amen? If this is your first time through it, would you say Amen. amen. Well, we got some in both categories. Praise God. Well, we're, how many know God is the teacher? Amen? amen? So we're going to ask Him to be the teacher right now. Let's just uh, bow in prayer. Father, we just thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to be our instructor. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. We open our minds to you. We honor your presence here in this room, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you administer your grace and your revelation and your understanding and your passion into each one of our hearts. And for what you do, we give you all honor, praise, and glory. And all God's people said, amen and amen. It's good to be together with you. Um, we're going to have fun. I'm going to tell a few jokes, so you just feel free to laugh whenever I do that, all right? <clears throat> Even if they're not funny, just pretend they're funny. That would help a lot, all right? I pray for the gift of humor. People tell me to keep praying, so I do keep praying, all right? So <clears throat> I'm going to start with a story. How many prefer a story to a sermon? If you do, say amen. Me too. This story is how I learned how to hear God's voice. Uh, I got saved when I was 15 years of age in a, in a very conservative, a very good, solid Bible-believing church. And they put within me a very deep hunger to become a biblical man. So I uh, began to read through the Bible, and I noticed people in the Bible could hear the voice of God. If you've noticed that, would you say amen? So I said, I think I should try that. How many believe the Bible should be tried, not just read? Amen. So I got down on my knees and I asked God to speak to me. I'm expecting something like a Damascus Road experience, you know, like thunder in the sky, you know, and a booming bass voice. Hello, Mark, this is God. And I would salute, come to attention, say, yes, sir, and whatever he said I would do. So I'm listening for this booming bass voice, and guess what I heard? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I thought, well, that didn't work. And how many know this is actually supposed to work? Amen. So I figured, well, I must be doing something wrong. So, um, so I thought, well, maybe if I just read more scripture, that'll solve it. So I, got, I, um, I read through the New Testament. It takes a day and a half to read through the New Testament. And, and, I, and I said, God, please speak to me. I went to my prayer time, asked God to speak. I'm listening. Guess what I heard? Nothing. I thought, well, that's disgusting. That still didn't work. I mean, I, I love the Bible. And I just read through the New Testament. And I got a hunger for God. And I'm still not hearing a voice. I said, well, maybe if I fast, because the Bible says if you pray and fast, God turns your gloom into noonday sun. He continually guides your feet. And I'm looking for guidance. I'm looking for revelation. So I'd fast for a day or I'd fast for a week or I'd fast for lots of weeks. And I was actually skinny back then. It was a great period of my life. And um, when I got alone to hear the voice of God, guess what I heard? Yeah, just my stomach rumbling. But that was okay. At least I was skinny, praise God. So... Um, I've had two goals as an adult. One is to be spiritual, the other is to be skinny, and I accomplished the skinny thing with the fasting, so I was very happy about that. But I still couldn't hear God's voice. So I thought, well, well now what will I do? 
Well, I felt a call to go into full-time Christian service, and at that point in my life, I, I believed that full-time Christian service gave me three jobs. I could be a pastor, a missionary, or an evangelist. Because at that point, I did not realize that everything is full-time Christian service. See, so I grew up on a dairy farm. I didn't know dairy farming was full-time Christian service. But how many know you can take the voice of God and anointing of God into the farm? Amen? You can pray over the crops, and crops that are prayed over grow better than crops that are not prayed over. They've proven that in some studies. But I didn't know that because my theology was kind of poor back then. It was, and I believed that that was secular and not part of ministry. So anyway, I decided to become a pastor. And I, not that I ever was a pastor. I just worked undercover as a pastor until they all threw me out and said, you're not a pastor, you're a teacher. And the difference, between, of course, between pastors and teachers is that pastors actually love people. And... Uh, and teachers love truth, all right? So um, they said, you don't love us, we can feel it, you know? And so they threw me out of my ear, okay? But before they did that, I worked undercover as a pastor for a number of years. I got trained. I went to college. I got a four-year degree, which said I was now spiritual. And I uh, hung my degree up on the wall, and I went to hear God's voice. And guess what I heard? Nothing. I thought, that's disgusting. I just spent four years of my life to be trained to be a pastor, uh, they've given me a degree that says I'm now qualified and I know I'm not qualified because I can't hear the voice of God. I said, I spent thousands of dollars. I said, that was disgusting. What a waste. So uh, I turned uh, charismatic my last year in Bible college and that meant that they were pretty glad to see me go and I was pretty glad to go actually, all right? And um, I became an ordained minister of an independent charismatic fellowship. How many think those kinds of ministers should be able to hear the voice of God? If you do, say Amen. So I thought so, so I um, hung my ordination certificate up next to my degree and I went to my prayer closet and I explained to God the significance of this juncture in my life and just so he'd know that this was the time to teach me how to hear his voice. So went to my prayer closet, guess what I heard? Nothing. How many hope this story gets better? I mean, these are all the things I tried that I thought were supposed to work, and, and none of them worked, you know? And I went to my prayer closet, there's no voice of God. I said, God, this is not going to work because I'm, I'm going to be up here preaching and someone's going to, you know, they're going to pray in tongues and expect me to interpret because it's a charismatic church and charismatic form is the pastor needs to interpret. I said, I can't interpret tongues because I can't hear your voice. Then, of course, they'll know that I can't hear your voice and they'll probably fire me. Unless, of course, I fake it, but then you'll probably give me leprosy. So I really wasn't sure... <laughs> How many vote for being fired? How many vote for leprosy? How many wished you weren't in that situation? How many know God always provides a way of escape? Amen? So the way of escape, of course, was two other elders in the church. One who was the worship leader, his name was Charles. He could hear the voice of God. He could prophesy. He could pray in tongues. He could interpret tongues. I thought, whew, at least one of us is spiritual. I said, maybe the congregation won't notice. It's the associate pastor who's spiritual. It's a senior pastor who's not. Now, how many think that's a role reversal? I explained that to God. I said, God, you know, I'm the senior pastor, and senior pastors should teach associate pastors how to be spiritual. If that sounds right to you, say amen. Sounded right to me. Didn't seem to bother God, so I put up with that humiliation for an entire year until I had a brilliant idea. I said, why don't I go to Charles? Why don't I ask him what God's voice sounds like? He can tell me that I can hear the voice of God too. If that sounds like a good idea to you, would you say Amen. So I went to Charles. I said, Charles, when you hear the voice of God, what's it sound like? He said, well, you just know that you know that you know that you've known. If you've heard that definition, would you say amen? amen? If you know that that doesn't help at all, if you don't know, would you say amen? amen. 
I mean, if I knew, I wouldn't even be asking now, would I? I said, that doesn't help. Don't tell me I know I don't know. And I was so frustrated, I seriously considered backsliding for a couple of days. And uh, the problem with backsliding being a preacher is you got to get right with God every Friday night because you have to preach on Sunday morning. So you can only backslide five days in a row, and then you've got to come back. So I'd come back and say, God, I'm going to give you one more chance, which I'm sure made his entire day in heaven to know that I had given him one more chance to prove that he was really there. Now, some people don't have this much trouble hearing the voice of God. It's just natural to them. I find that totally disgusting, all right? So anyway, this is, this is my story. It wasn't natural. It wasn't easy. It was very difficult. I asked people, you know, we, you know, I, we invited people to our church who taught on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And uh, my goal was when he got done teaching my church, I would take him home, sit him down, pin him against the wall, and I'd say, what does God's voice sound like? I'm a very desperate man here. So I sat him down, fed him some tea because he came from England and uh, that was the appropriate thing to do. And uh, I said, what does God's voice sound like? He said, well, what most people consider the voice of God is nothing more than the subterranean uh, rumblings of the spiritual mind. Subterranean rumblings of the spiritual mind. I said, what is that? He said, well, it's just your heart rummaging around down there. It's not God's voice at all. I said, well, thank you. That's extremely helpful. Uh, I said, I'm sure with that definition, I'll be able to hear God's voice effortlessly for the rest of my life. At which point I backslid one more time, all right, and said, God, this guy teaches all over the world in the gifts of spirit, and he cannot give me a definition of your voice. I said, isn't there anybody in my world who can define your voice for me? And, and I was very, very frustrated because I believe in going to people ahead of you in an area and asking them for advice. And these guys, I felt, were ahead of me. And they could not give me any sort of a, a meaningful definition for the voice of God. And uh, I'm sure I tried a few other things, but how many think that's probably enough depression for one night? You know, I mean, these were things I thought should have worked, and none of them worked. And so I, I um, put the whole thing in the back burner. I said, God, you know, I love your spirit. Uh, I love the Holy Spirit. I believe in the charismatic movement. I believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But I can't operate them because I can't hear your voice. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit basically come out of the voice of God. And I said... So there's no way I can really effectively be a charismatic. I can believe in the charismatic movement, but I can't be a charismatic experientially. And, and that was pretty sad for me because I really did believe that the power of God was for today. I just didn't know how to access it. And so I put the whole thing in the back burner, and that, this is, that's the first 11 years of my Christian life. We shortened it down to 10 or 20 minutes here, but that was the first 11 years of my Christian life. And um, then I had a thought come to me, and the thought was, why don't you spend a year of your life focused on learning how to hear the voice of God? And I said, man, a year of my life to learn one thing? <laughs> I said, I don't think so. I said, I live in America. In America, we pick up a book, read it in a week or two, put it down, assume we know what's going on, and going on to the next book. Do you do that? I mean, I had never crossed my mind to spend one whole year learning one thing. I had a second thought come to my mind, Mark, you've already spent 10 years in diffused effort you didn't get through. If you spent one year in focused effort and got through, it would be the best year of your life. If that sounds right to you, would you say amen? I said, you know what, that sounds right to me. I said, I'm going to risk a whole year of my life learning how to hear God's voice. And the reason I was willing to do that was because as I read through the New Testament, I read the Gospel of John, who was the beloved disciple, and he tells something that the other three disciples, the other three gospel writers don't tell. And I think it's because he could see into the heart of Jesus more deeply than the rest. And here's what he said. He repeats this twice in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, I do nothing on my own initiative, only those things which I see the Father doing and hear the Father speaking. 
So I was totally convinced if I wanted to live like Jesus and move in the supernatural, I had to come to that point where I didn't just do things on my own, but I saw vision, I heard God's, God's voice, and I lived out of that. And so I said, you know what? I'm willing to risk a year of my life because if I can't nail this down, if I can't learn to hear and to see, there's no way that I know that I can live like Jesus. I can think he did a lot of nice things and I can be happy about that, but I can't do it myself. So I said, you know what? It's worth a year. So that year, it was 1979, I went to the bookstore, found every book on prayer I could find and read them all, okay? Some I read two or three times because they were extremely helpful because they were answering the question, here's what God's voice sounds like. I um, read everything I could find in the Bible, you know, on hearing God's voice. Um, and, and I preached on things I was learning all year and I experimented with that. <laughs> Is it okay to experiment with hearing the voice of God? If you think so, say amen. If you're not sure, say, I'm not sure. <laughs> See, I was taught if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing how? Well. But here's the truth. You don't do anything well the first time. You go through a period of trial and error and mistakes. And if you're not willing to let yourself make mistakes and do something poorly for a while, how many of you know you'll never be able to do it well? Is that right? You see, so I, I had to say, Mark, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to go ahead and experiment, explore, and if you make some mistakes, that's perfectly fine. You're in a learning curve as you're mastering a new skill. During those years that, um, that I couldn't hear God's voice, I, you know, the Bible is really clear. My sheep do what? Hear my voice. So I, I knew that it was very clear that we were supposed to. And so I checked to make sure I was a sheep, you know? I mean, did, did I really invite Jesus into my heart? And I really had. I had invited him in as the Lord of my life, that is one of the beautiful, strong things that the church gave me that I got saved and they stressed lordship. I had asked him in as the Lord of my life and he's the breath I breathe. He was the life I live. I believed I had a relationship with Jesus because I was taught, you know, that's what gets me to heaven was a relationship with Jesus. The only problem with my relationship with Jesus is I couldn't hear his voice and I couldn't actually see him nor could I feel him, but I did have a relationship with him. Now, if you had a relationship with somebody you couldn't hear, see, or feel, how many think you could be missing something in the relationship? If you were married to somebody you couldn't hear, see, or feel, do you think you could be missing something in the marriage? Which brings the question, you know, did I have a relationship with Jesus or did I have a theology which said I had a relationship with Jesus? And uh, is it people with theologies that get to heaven or people with relationships with Jesus? So I was very unhappy with where I was walking and I really believed I should be walking someplace else. So I looked up everything in the Bible I could on hearing the voice of God that year. I preached on it. I experimented with it. I went to conferences on hearing God's voice. None were being offered by the, the church that I got saved in because even though they did stress lordship and, and that was great, they did not stress the voice of God. They kind of believed that when God finished writing this, he quit talking. And I said, yeah, but I have an ache to hear him. They said, you'll get over it. <laughs> well, I didn't. I got over them instead and I, and I moved and... Uh, Look for another church that really were, was hungry for this. And uh, so the Lord, he took me to conferences outside of my theological background. How many have gone outside of your theological background to learn something new? If you have, would you say amen? amen. How many found that kind of scary? Yeah. Scary, because I, I was taught the only people going to heaven were the ones in our church. I was pretty conservative, but that's what I was taught, all right? And I've had to go from there to realize, hey, there's a whole lot more people than that going to heaven, all right? So uh, anyway, you'll never guess where the Lord took me to learn some of these keys to hearing God's voice. He took me to a Catholic charismatic retreat center for a week. 
uh, to listen to two Jesuit priests, Dennis and Matt Lynn, who taught on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I had read their book entitled Healing Life's Hurts Through the Five Stages of Forgiveness. And uh, it was a beautiful book on inner healing way back in the 70s. And I read that book and said, these guys can hear the voice of God and they can see vision. I said, I'm going to call them up and see if they can help me because nobody around me could help me. And even though they're Catholic, who knows? They might know something. Because <laughs> the church I got saved in wasn't really big on Catholics. They were pretty sure that they weren't going to heaven. All right. And, um, and uh, so I was pretty nervous about Catholics. All right. And then... But I thought, thought, no one's helping me here in Protestantism. Maybe they can help me. So I called up Dennis and Matt Lane on the phone, and they said, you know what? We're coming to your state to do a conference in about two weeks. Why don't you see if you can register? I said, sure. So I went, registered, and I took uh, my wife with me to Staten Island, New York City, Mount Augustine. It was a Catholic charismatic retreat center, and Dennis and Matt Lynn, two Jesuit priests, were teaching for a week on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how to hear God's voice and how to go through inner healing. And, you know, I, uh, I had been taught to be pretty nervous about Catholics, so I checked out their eyes just to see what they, you know, they look pretty good, you know, and uh, had a big smile on their face. They were so full of love. I said, this is pretty amazing, you know. You guys uh, look better than I look, actually. So um, I was pretty impressed, all right? Now, it stretched me. How many think uh, a nice conservative fundamentalist evangelical in a Catholic retreat center, how many think that's a scary thing? That's why I took my wife with me, because she's the safe, sober, sane one of the two of us, you know, and... Uh, when I'm ready to jump, she said, let's pray and ponder just before we jump here, you know. So Patty came with me. Middle of the week, we almost left the retreat center because um, they did something I couldn't handle. They took some water, they prayed over it, and uh, they said it's now holy water. And they gave each one of us some holy water and told us we could sprinkle on things that would make them better. <laughs> I said, I don't think so. I, I said, I don't, I don't even believe in holy water. And so I took my holy water outside, found a dead tree stump, dumped it over it and said, oh my gosh, what kind of a cult group am I in? And I planned on leaving the next morning, but I woke the next morning with a thought going through my mind, which obviously was the voice of God, even though I couldn't have defined it at that point as the voice of God. The thought was, well, do you believe in holy handkerchiefs? How many people here believe in a holy handkerchief? Could I just see their hands? And why exactly do you believe in a holy handkerchief? Tell me. It's in the Bible, all right? And uh, so the next thought that came to me was, if the power of God can fill a handkerchief, why can't the power of God fill water? Amen? I said, I don't know, but it can't. <laughs> I said, I'm a happily married Protestant minister. There's no chance I'm turning Catholic here, okay? But how many realize God was stretching me? You know, he said, Mark, there's truth outside of your theological boundaries. And, um, and that was a breaking for me because, you know, I, I, I needed to learn that, all right? Because I was very committed to my little box here. And God said, Mark, it's bigger than your little box. If you're willing to let me stretch you this weekend, would you say amen? Amen. Because I'm going to need to do that. And the way I need to stretch you is I need to ask you to become childlike. Because how many of you know, the Bible is real clear that we need to become like little, what? Children, if we want to enter into the kingdom of God. All right, so I'm going to ask you, if you to become childlike. If you think you'd maybe handle that for the weekend, would you say amen? <laughs> I'll help you, okay? Um, and I'll teach you how to do that in case you've forgotten. Some of you probably didn't, but some of you might have. So anyway, Dennis and Matt Lynn, they taught us two of the four keys to hearing God's voice that I learned that year. And I want to introduce to you all four keys here in the next few minutes tonight. 
And, uh, and I was really excited because I was able at the end of that, at, at the end of that, was to sit down and write out page after page after page of what God was saying to me. And I could do it every single day of my life in my morning devotions. My daughter Charity, she was seven years of age at that time. I was able to sit down and in 20 minutes teach her the four keys, the same four keys I'm going to teach you in the next 20 minutes. And she was able to begin to journal out page after page of, uh, and, uh, and she did it all the way through her teen years. She's now about 28 or so and um, happily married. How many think going through your teen, teen years journaling really helps? Amen? Helped her, helped me. So I was ecstatic. My life was changed because I found I could live out of the voice of God. And um, so the, four, what we, the, the year that I set aside to learn to hear God's voice, we put it into a book, what I learned. It's now called How to Hear God's Voice. used to be called Communion with God. We've just changed the title in the last few months. And um, it's 300 and some pages, so we can't cover it all this weekend seminar. You can cover it. You can go home, get yourself into a 12-week group, and work your way all the way through it. We would like you to do that, all right? And establish this in your life very, very solidly. What we're going to do this weekend is take 32 pages out of it in a seminar guide, which you should all have one. So if you want to open up to page two in the seminar guide, just the back of the, the front cover, we're going to introduce you to the four keys to hearing God's voice. All four keys are found several places in the Bible. One is Habakkuk. He's a prophet who can hear the voice of God and he can see vision. Some of you say, some of you say Habakkuk and some say Habakkuk. I'm not going to fight about it. I'll just do whatever flows out, all right? Either way is fine with me. Habakkuk or Habakkuk? Now Habakkuk, he's a man who can hear the voice of God and see vision. Do you think when you want to learn something, it might be wise to go to somebody in the Bible who already has learned that and say, teach me how you do that. If that makes sense, say amen. So since Habakkuk can do it, he can see vision and he can hear, we're going to go and take a look and see what he's doing. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he said, I'm going to stand on my guard post. I'm going to keep watch to see what he will speak to me. And the Lord told him to do what? to record the vision, to take and write it down. In those two verses are four keys to hearing God's voice. The first key is in the first phrase, I'm going to stand on my guard post. So key number one is to quiet yourself in the Lord's presence. He called it a guard post. You can call it your prayer room. You can call it a soaking room. You can call it your living room couch. You can call it your kitchen sink where you peel potatoes. Just have some place where you can get alone, quiet yourself down, and, uh, and hear the voice of God. Now, if you already knew that you were supposed to still yourself down to hear the voice of God, would, if you knew that, would you say amen? All right, now, half of my head knew that. The other half of my head believed something different. It believed, Mark, don't you dare still your mind, because if you do, guess who could move upon it? Tell me if you've heard. Who? Satan. If you've heard that teaching, would you say amen? So you see, one half of me is saying, mind, be still. The other half is saying, don't you dare become still, because if you become still, Satan will get you. How many know with that kind of inner tension, it's going to be kind of difficult to hear the voice of God and become still? I'm not even totally convinced it's right to become still. Is it right to still your mind, or is it wrong to still your mind? If you think it's right, say Amen. I think it's okay to do that. The Bible says, be still and what? 
know that I am God. That's Psalms 46.10 if you want to put it in the margin next to number one. The Bible commands us to still ourselves. In the Psalms, David says, be silent my soul before him. Be silent my soul. He commands his soul to become silent. So the teaching that I believe that it was wrong to still my mind, that teaching was wrong teaching. And that teaching kept me in a prison. Whenever I believe error, I'm in a prison that needs to be broken free from. And the prison was a prison, a prison of rationalism. It says the only real stuff in your life is the stuff that comes to reason. And don't you dare let reason be set aside because that's the funnel through which God speaks. It's called rationalism. It's a false theology. It's a theology that I held to and believed in. And so I had to repent for believing it was wrong to still my mind. And I had to say, it's okay to still your mind because the Bible commands you to be still. And I said to my mind, mind, be still. All right, so if you've been afraid to still your mind, I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer of repentance, just like I did. I love to repent because when I repent, it gets me out of a box, a prison that holds me so I cannot move in the spirit realm. And I just said, God, I am sorry for fearing uh, uh, Satan. Because how many of you know fear is nothing more than faith in reverse? Amen? If I believe that Satan has the power to move upon me, it's, it's faith in reverse. It's me saying, I believe more in the power of Satan to get me than I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to get me. How many think that doesn't probably please God at all? How many believe he wants us to believe more in his power to move upon us than we believe in the power of Satan to get us? Amen? And so I said, God, say, I said, God I'm sorry for having more faith in the power of Satan to get me then I have faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to get me and I repent of that and I choose to believe that when I still my mind in God's presence I'll receive the Holy Spirit because the Bible promises that the Bible promises if we ask for the Spirit we will get the what? Spirit and we will not get a serpent we will not get a stone we will get the Spirit so if you're asking for the Spirit and you quiet yourself go down before God do you have every right biblically speaking to believe that you'll get the Spirit? Yes. And I decided to repent for my faith in the power of Satan. If you'd like to pray a prayer like that, just say this after me. Dear Jesus, I repent for believing in the power of Satan to get me. I believe what your word has said, that when I ask for the Spirit, I will receive the Spirit, and I will not get a serpent, I will not get a stone. I will receive the Holy Spirit. I repent of all belief that Satan will get me. He will not get me. You will get me because I'm coming to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Does that feel good? It's better than believing for Satan, all right? Because the Bible is real clear to say, according to your faith, what? be it unto you. And if you're saying, well, you know what? My life's been going really good, so I am really believing Satan's going to attack me. How many of you know that's not a really wise thing to be, believing, to be believing for? Because if you're believing for it, how many of you know Satan says, I can help. I can do that. You want to believe for it? I can help. So I don't believe for Satan to attack me or to get me. Fair enough? If it is, say amen. I believe for God to get me. Say, I believe for God to get me. Amen. So, 
I had repented of my wrong theology. I would repented for having faith in the power of Satan to get me. And I got on my knees and I said to my mind, I said, mind, be still. And it said, make me. <laughs> I said, I'll shoot you if you don't shut up right now. So go ahead. So didn't really shoot myself, just got a stranglehold around my neck and my head turns purple, my mind is racing, saying, I will not shut up, I will not shut up. I said, God, this is a lot of work. Would you like a simple biblical technique to still your thoughts instantaneously? Amen. Well, come back tomorrow. I want to give you one, all right? Uh, tonight is the teaser, all right? And uh, we're just introducing the four keys tonight. Tomorrow we'll get into it, and the weekend we'll get into it more in depth. But the answer to the question is actually in the next key. So let's go to the next key. Habakkuk said, I'm going to keep watch to see what he will speak to me. Now, if I was going to write that sentence, I sure wouldn't say it that way. I would not say, I'm going to keep watch to see what he's going to speak to me. What I would say is, I'm going to listen to hear what he's going to speak to me. Do you think it makes more sense to listen for a spoken word than it does to try to see a spoken word? If you think so, say amen. I said, how come he's trying to see? I said, when I go to pray, I'm not trying to see anything. I'm just trying to hear. Now, I don't hear anything, but at least I'm trying really hard. So I said, God, what's he trying to do here? And the Lord revealed an answer. Let's move on to the next PowerPoint. Key number two is to look for vision as you pray. Key number two is to look for vision. Use the eyes of your heart, which God gave to you, and look into the spirit realm and say, God, show me what you want to show me. So key number two is to learn to use the eyes of your heart, learn to use vision. Specifically, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says that we fix our eyes where? On Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So if I'm going to use vision, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. How many do believe that Jesus is right here, Emmanuel, God with us? You believe that? You believe he's standing right here next to me? Do you believe that with the eyes of our heart we can see that? I believe we can see that. There's no reason in the world I can't look over and say, Jesus, let me just see you. And sure enough, matter of fact, he's sitting right over there cross-legged. I can see that. And he's having a good time and he's having fun, all right? He's always having a whole lot more fun than I am, so it's good to keep my eye on him because I lighten up and I have more fun than too. Well, you know, I didn't used to see because I, I hadn't practiced using the eyes of my heart. It never crossed my mind to use the eyes of my heart and look for vision. Uh, when I was growing up, I wasn't naturally a seer. I was naturally a thinker. And so I preferred reason and the left brain functions instead of vision and right brain functions. And when I went to school and high school and college, they all encouraged left brain functions of reason, all right? And my church even encouraged left brain functions. So, so my approach to God was pretty much a reasoned approach to God and not a visual one. I wasn't seeing vision. I wasn't hearing voices or seeing vision. And uh, so I'd never thought about using vision. And back in 1979, it was just like a whole new area to me. My visionary apparatus had atrophied and died because I hadn't used it purposely for a number of years. Now today we do have a fair amount of teaching on vision, okay? Um, some is pro and some is con. There's, there's books out in the market on both sides of the issue. There are some books that say, don't you dare use the eyes of your heart. Don't you dare look in the spirit realm and see things because that's what New Agers do. And New Agers, they visualize a lot and, and, uh, as they approach the spirit realm. And because a New Ager visualizes, probably we shouldn't. If you've heard that kind of teaching, would you say amen? 
Amen. All right, well, so right now, see, back in 1979, there was no teaching and vision either way. So, you know, I just, I didn't have to overcome fear. Today, you have to overcome fear because if you've read those kinds of books, you've got fear in your heart saying, I don't even think it's right to use vision because that's what New Agers do. Well, let's just talk about that whole thing for a moment. How many believe that the New Age movement is counterfeiting things in the church? I believe that, okay? Because I believe Satan is a counterfeiter. He's not an originator, so, so this isn't anything new. They're counterfeiting something that we're supposed to be doing. Now, let's, let's have a little lesson on counterfeiting, just in case you haven't been up to speed on counterfeiting recently in your life. Um, are there any counterfeit $21 bills? No, why not? There's not a real $21 bill, all right? So you only counterfeit things that are real. Second question is, now this is a harder question. You have to really have a, a more evil mind to answer this. So if you can get this one, we're going to know something about you, all right? So be careful what you say here. Do we have any counterfeit um, $3 bills? Or $1 bills in America or loonies here in Canada? Do you counterfeit ones or do you counterfeit loonies? No. Why don't you? They're not valuable enough. If you're going to counterfeit, you counterfeit... 20s and 50s, so you learned it in church, praise God. Just in case you didn't know that stuff, you can say, I learned how to counterfeit in church, praise God. All right. If the New Age movement is using visualization and we believe that they're the counterfeit movement, and I do believe they are, what two things do we know about vision? There is a real, right? And the real has what? Value. So what should my response be when I see New Agers visualizing? Because I got one or two responses. I could back away and say, oh, I don't think I want to do that, you know, because uh, I don't want to look like a New Ager. All right, that'd be like a real $20 bill looking at a counterfeit $20 bill and say, oh, I don't want to look like that. I think I'll turn myself into a 19. <laughs> Would that be ridiculous? Do some people do that? Some people do that, all right? What's the other response? My other response would be, hey, what is it that Satan has found that is so valuable it's worth him counterfeiting because I want to find out what it is because I want to start doing the right thing. So what I'm going to do is look up every single verse in the Bible on dream and on vision and on imagination and the eyes of my heart and I'm going to find out how I'm supposed to be using them because you know what? I'm not using them at all right now. I don't pay attention to dreams or vision or imagination or, or anything. So, so I probably need to repent because... Is there much dream and vision in the Bible? A little or a lot? A lot. So if I'm not doing any, how many know I'm not being biblical? Amen? Because the Bible, how many know vision begins in Genesis and goes all the way to the book of Revelation? Amen? It is full of it. How many know God is not afraid of vision? <laughs> Say, God is not afraid of vision. He's not, all right? Which means I don't have to be afraid of vision. Want to say that? I don't have to be afraid of vision, and, and I'm not. You know, I don't build my theology. I don't determine what I'm going to do based on a poll of cult groups. And so, you know, this cult group does this, therefore I don't. And this cult group does this, and therefore I don't. How many know it doesn't really make any difference what a cult group does? The, the, the difference is, hey, what does the Bible teach? If the Bible teaches it, we get to do it. And if every cult group in the world does it, or no cult group in the world does it, how many know that doesn't make any difference? Right? The Bible never says, poll cult groups and do the opposite. <laughs> and how many of you know there are books that teach you to do that? So you do need to be a little bit discerning. 
and a little bit careful about what you read and what you listen to because if you're not careful you'll move into fear and fear is nothing more than faith in the power of Satan to get me which is why I hate fear so much and that's why I hate any book that breeds fear that's why I burn any book that breeds fear because I don't need any fear in my life I've already tried fear it wasn't that much fun if you've tried fear say amen if you found it wasn't that much fun say amen I don't want to try fear again I want faith I want faith in the power of God to get me so um, so right now we've got an issue of fear that we have to be overcome and um, I'd just like to break fear <laughs> let's before we break it in prayer let, let's just ask a question okay uh, let, let's put a few verses in the margin here next to uh, next to number two where I'm gonna keep watch to see look for vision how about a couple examples from scripture in the margin just jot down numbers chapter 12 verse 6 numbers 12 verse 6 if there's a prophet among you I the Lord will make myself known to him through a dream and through a vision all right so if there's a prophet amongst us God's gonna make himself known through a dream and a vision didn't say I might do it he said I will make myself known through a dream and a vision is this gathering of people here would you consider this a prophetic group of people I would all right did God say he might give us dream and vision he said I will give dream and vision write down Acts 217 if you will in the margin Acts 217 in the last days saith the Lord I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh sons and daughters shall prophesy young men shall see what visions old men shall dream dreams did he say we might he said we will or we shall so if you and I are not seeing a dream and a vision is it because God is not sending it or is it because we're not receiving what God is sending we're not receiving and the reason I wasn't receiving is because I never took the eyes of my heart seriously I never asked for vision I never believed for vision I never looked for vision and now today half of the church is even afraid of the whole area and so I said you know what <laughs> uh, God I'm gonna repent for not asking for vision for not for believing for vision for not looking for vision and for being afraid of it because Daniel said I looked in the vision I looked in the vision I looked in the vision John in the book of Revelation I looked and I saw I saw a door open in the sky and I looked and these guys are all looking I'm what I'm not I'm in prayer I'm not looking for a vision so I had taken the capacity that God had given me and I had ignored it completely I hadn't used it now the Bible says I'm supposed to present myself as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God I had never once taken the eyes of my heart and presented them as a living sacrifice and asked God to move upon them is that a sin is it a sin what kind of a sin it's a sin of omission I have omitted to doing something God told me to do he said take your entire being present it as a living sacrifice and I didn't take the eyes of my heart and present them as a living sacrifice so I said God I'm sorry I repent for not taking the eyes of my heart and not presenting them to you as a living sacrifice I repent for not looking for vision for not asking for vision for not believing for vision and from now on I will if you would like to pray a prayer like that would you say amen all right let's do it dear Jesus I repent for not presenting the eyes of my heart to you for not looking for vision 
for not asking for vision, for not believing in vision. And from this day forth, I will present the eyes of my heart to you. I will ask for vision. I will look for vision. And I will believe that the pictures that light up on my mind are coming from you because you promised to give them. And I take you at your word. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Is that a good prayer? Does it feel good? Feels good to me because I'm out of a prison. I'm out of a prison of spiritual blindness that I have lived in for years and I'm now able to become a seer. Prophets were first called seers. Let me tell you the story of the first time that I used vision purposefully in my own Christian life. I was uh, reading this Bible story of Jesus at the woman, with the woman at, in John chapter 4, Samaritan woman at the well. And I was picturing that scene. Now, let me ask a question. How many of you, when you read a Bible story of Jesus with the multitudes, breaking loaves, feeding 5,000, how many of you will tend to picture those scenes in your mind as you read them? If you do that, would you say amen? amen. Ah, there are some New Agers here. I was just checking to see. <clears throat> You know, there are some books that will say, if you picture or visualize as you approach a spirit realm, that's new age. You shouldn't do it. But you know what? Most Christians do that without thinking about it. And how many of you know, if you read the Bible in a childlike manner, you will be picturing the scenes? Does every child picture? Yes, they do. So if I'm reading the Bible as a child, I will be picturing. So picturing is not new age. It's childlike and it's biblical. And I refuse to give it or anything else to the New Age movement. It's ours. Say it's ours. <laughs> we don't give it away. Amen. So I'm uh, picturing a scene. There's Jesus with the woman at the well. I grew up on a dairy farm. We had these big round wells. It was easy to picture. And uh, picture the scene. There's uh, Jesus sitting there at the edge of the well and uh, long flowing white robes, sandals on his feet, very loving, gentle countenance, beautiful, warm summer day. I didn't see his face during the first few times I used vision. I just saw him from the shoulders on down. And a lot of people say that. You know, they say when they begin to use vision, they don't really see his face very clearly. But as you stay and you work with vision for a few weeks, you'll find even after a few days, his, his face will appear and you'll see his eyes just full of laughter and his big, big smile on his lips. He's having a whole lot more fun than most of us are having. And uh, he'll just draw you into that, okay? So... Um, so I, I'm picturing this scene, all right? And uh, instead of the woman sitting there next to Jesus, it's me sitting there next to Jesus. Now, question. When you read Bible stories, is it okay to put your name in these Bible promises? Do you think it's okay to put your entire self in these scenes? I think so. So I put myself in the scene, and it's me sitting there next to Jesus, all right? And um, I look up at him, and, and I just ask him a question. And a thought lights on my mind. It was a really good thought. It was a different thought than I was thinking. Um, and I opened my eyes and wrote it down and said, you know, that's not what I was thinking. Because I was asking Lord, I was saying, Lord, how, how do I handle this rebellious child that we've taken into our home? And she's breaking all the household rules. And I just want to punch her in Christian love and say, look, you know, these are the rules. You want to live here, you do it this way. It's called the authoritarian approach to parenting, you know. And um, she snuck off for school, so I couldn't do that. So I'm journaling. I said, Lord, what do you want to say about this girl? And, the, and, and, and as I looked at the scene in my mind and asked the Lord to speak, it's like Jesus came alive. The, 
I, I, I took my hands off the scene and I invited the Holy Spirit to take it over. Is it okay in the middle of your Bible study process to take your hands off the scene and to invite the Holy Spirit to take it over? Is it okay if the Holy Spirit takes it over? Is it better than okay? That's what we're after. It's like, you know, Ramah's verses leap off the page, hit you between the eyes. So I said, Lord, what do you want to say? And I, I took my hands off the scene and scene came alive. Jesus gestured like a person would gesture. As he gestures, a thought comes which is love unconditionally. <laughs> I said, that's not what I was going to do. I was going to love her with conditions. So I said, I don't think it's me saying love unconditionally. I don't think it's Satan telling me to love her unconditionally. This could actually be God speaking. All right? That's my first example of using vision and tuning to flow. And so I wrote it down, love unconditionally, closed my eyes, looked back at the scene, said, Lord, is there more you want to say? The scene doesn't come alive, but a second thought lights in my mind, which is, she's very insecure. Open my eyes and write that down, said, that's not what I believed. I thought she was rebellious. And then I thought about it. I said, you know, maybe I'm looking at the facade, and maybe the Holy Spirit's looking at her heart. And maybe her heart, since she was a runaway girl that we take into our home, maybe her heart was full of insecurity. And maybe what I should be doing is ministering to the insecurity of her heart, not the facade that she put up of rebel, rebellious external uh, 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 external side and I said I'm going I'm to try this so she came home from school and uh, instead of just reading her the riot act I spent an hour just building a relationship with her letting her talk about her life me talking about mine I'm sure I gave her one or two rules at the end I just had to you know it was in me but uh, mostly we built a relationship and the fruit was good she didn't run away from my home she stayed there came to church every Sunday I said that's good fruit all right that was my first example of learning to hear the voice of God, using vision in my prayer time and learning to hear the voice of God. I began to do, the, to do that every day. I would meet with Jesus in a Bible story, picture the scene, tune to flow, invite the Lord to speak, and begin to write down the flow of thoughts. And all four keys are in what I just said to you. We're going to go through the rest of them now in more detail. So key number two was to learn to use vision as we pray. We will spend two entire hours talking about vision because it's such a big issue and it needs so much explanation. Number three, third key is what he will speak to me. We're, we're going to say that God's voice comes as spontaneous thoughts. God's voice often comes as a spontaneous thought. Now that's a pretty, def it's a pretty simple definition for the voice of God. If God's voice is as simple as a spontaneous thought, how many know that is simpler than most of us have made it? I mean, I made it this booming bass voice, which I never heard. Some people want lightning to fall from the sky. I mean, Paul went half blind to Damascus Road. Some people want to do that. I don't want to do that necessarily. But how many know we have spontaneous thoughts every day of our life? Amen? If God's voice is that simple, how many know everybody hears God's voice every day and just doesn't realize that? For example, how many of you have been driving down the road in the car, had a thought come to you to pray for somebody? If you have, say Amen. How many felt that that was the voice of God telling you to pray for that person? If you did, say amen. What did God's voice sound like in the car? Was it like a booming bass voice or just a spontaneous thought? Spontaneous thought. That's what I noticed. I said, hey, when I think I hear the voice of God, it doesn't sound like a voice as I define voice. It's just thoughts that light up on my mind. And I said, so maybe what I should do is when I'm in prayer, I should quiet myself down, fix my eyes on Jesus, tune to spontaneity, and perhaps that flow of thoughts is actually the voice of the Holy Spirit. If you think that might be so, say amen. I think it is so, and that's what I teach, all right? Spontaneity, spontaneous flowing thoughts. It's, it's different than tip my thinking, because my thinking's analytical. It's structured. Two plus two is four. Spontaneity just flows in with a life of its own. Let's talk about flow for a minute. 
I read an article called The Flow Experience and they had discovered that where people were in flow, they were a whole lot more creative, effective and brilliant than when they were not, when they were not in flow. How many of you find that when you're in flow doing something, you're a whole lot more effective than when you're not in flow? Amen? If I'm speaking from flow, I'm amazed at how good it is. If, if I, how about praying? How many have prayed from flow? And, and you've had flow take over your prayer time and you were praying without even thinking about what's going to come. It was just flowing from you. If you've had that, say amen. How many found that was anointed? How many have prayed and had no flow at all? Just cranked it out for 30 minutes because you're supposed to pray for 30 minutes. Can you tell the difference? One is me praying. The other is the Holy Spirit in me praying. All right? So when I tune to flow, it's the river of God within me. How about worship? How many have worshipped and had flow take over your worship experience and you weren't even thinking about stuff, you were in flow? How many found that was very anointing? How many have worshipped and had no flow take it over, you just clapped your hands because you're supposed to? Can you tell the difference? One is me singing a song, the other is the Holy Spirit worshipping through me. How many have done a job and when you did a job you were in flow and were amazed at how quickly you did it and how well you did it? How many have done a job and had no flow? You just cranked it out out of meanness and you had to do it, you know, didn't want to, all right? Can you tell the difference? One is me doing the job, but the other is the Holy Spirit, the river of God, the anointing of God within me doing the job. And so I have began to understand flow. And if you want to put a verse in the margin that talks about flow, I went back to the Bible and said, God, is the word flow in the Bible. It sure was. In the margin, put down John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39 out of your innermost being shall what? Flow rivers of living water. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. So when I want to tune to the Holy Spirit, according to that verse, what does the Holy Spirit feel like inside of us? Tell us. Tell me. He feels like what? He feels like flow. He feels like flow. Out of my innermost being shall flow. He feels like a flow. So flow. when I tune to flow, I tune to the Holy Spirit. When I tune to flowing thoughts... I tune to his words. When I tune to flowing pictures, I tune to his vision. When I tune to flowing emotions, I tune to his emotions. But now I can define the spirit. My spirit feels like flow. I didn't know how to define spirit. I used to ask people, how do you, what's, what's my heart feel like? Because I assume God speaks from my heart. They said, well, it's the innermost part of you. I said, that's where it's located. But I didn't ask you where it's located. I said, what does it feel like? They said, well, it doesn't feel like anything. I said, why not? Well, because feelings are part of your soul. I said, oh, great, I can't feel it. Well, then how do I sense it? Well, it's the part of you that talks to God. That's, that's what it does. How do I sense it? No one could define how to sense my spirit. And I've just defined how to sense it. You sense your spirit as flow within. And when you tune to flow, you're tuning to your heart or spirit. When you tune to analytical, you're tuning to your mind. So key number three is to recognize God's voice as a spontaneous flow of thoughts. Key number four, the Lord said to Habakkuk to do what? Record the vision. Key number four is to write out that flow of thoughts and pictures within you. Write out the flow of thoughts and pictures within you. Key number four is to write out the flow of thoughts and pictures within you. Uh, we're going to call it two-way journaling. Two-way journaling used to call it journaling, I want to call it two-way journaling because for people today, journaling can mean one way. Me talking to God, and that's not really what I want. I want a dialogue, him and I talking together. And since the two of us are talking together, who do you think should do most of the talking? <laughs> God. Let him do most of it. You know, don't, don't, don't you do 80% because the Bible, if you want to put this verse in the margin, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2. 
Ecclesiastes 5, 1 and 2, do, do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up matter in the presence of God because God's in heaven, you're on earth, therefore let your words be few. So he's saying, let God do most of the talking. You just shut up and let him do most of the talking. All right? So that's uh, my paraphrase of that verse. So when I journal, I want it two-way, and I want God to do about 80 to 90% of the talking and not me. All right. Any examples of journaling in the Bible uh, where people write out what God is saying to them? They're writing out dreams, writing out vision, or writing out their dialogue with God. Give me some place in the Bible where that happens. John, the book of Revelation. Moses, yeah. How about all the prophets in the Old Testament? How about the Psalms, right? Hundreds of chapters, hundreds and hundreds of chapters demonstrating journaling, and I have never journaled in my entire life, and yet I believe I'm full gospel because I speak in tongues, and God said, Mark, you're not full gospel, you're just fuller than you used to be. <laughs> and you have got major sections of the Bible, you have never noticed that dynamic, you've never tried it. And I said, fine. I said, I'll, I'll try journaling. I said, it's not going to work for me because I hate spelling, English, grammar, and writing, all right? But if you're committed to the idea, I will try it to prove to you it's not going to work in my case. That's called an open-minded approach to spiritual growth. So uh, I got my old pen out, and I quieted myself down. I fixed my eyes on Jesus, tuned to flow, wrote down a question, tuned to flow, and the flow kicked in and began to write. And I got page after page after page. I wrote for like 30 minutes. I took and shared it with Patty. I said, Patty, Pat, Patty is my wife, in case you don't know, and I was in a parsonage, and she was just across from the church office. I ran across the driveway. I said, Patty, is it God? She said, I believe that's God. She read it. I went back to my office. I journaled another 30 minutes and went back. She said, I still believe it's God. I spent five hours that first day journaling. I checked with Patty every 30 minutes to an hour because I wanted to make sure I was on track. I'm learning a new skill. I want confirmation. That confirmation gave me faith to press on. I want you to do the same thing. Have people you submit your journey to so you have faith to press on because they affirm it's actually God. All right? Five hours of journaling. I mean, I'd spend 11 years trying to find this. When I found it, I said, this is the heart of Christianity. Now Christianity can work for me. And that's why it was worth a five-hour investment that first day, and I've journaled ever since then. All right? That was 1979. I've journaled for 26 years now. All right? Most precious thing that I discovered in my Christian life. All right, so four keys to hearing God's voice. Now, why did journaling release the voice of God? I mean, I thought it was going to mess it up. I said, God, I hate spelling. My prayer time doesn't work. This will doubly kill it. Didn't doubly kill it. Why did it release it? Here's why it released it. When I used to come to God to speak and ask God to speak, I would have a thought drop into my mind. I'd say, hmm, wonder if that came from God. Or I'd say, get out of here. I'm busy trying to hear the voice of God. <laughs> now, the Bible says those who come to God must come in what? Faith believing. So I would come in faith believing for two entire seconds. God would get two words out of his mouth, and I would say, hmm. Now, is hmm faith? Hmm is what? Doubt. I shift from faith to doubt, jam the receiver, hang up on God, and God says, you know, Mark, it's really hard to have a relationship with you, because every time I start talking, you hang up. I said, I'm so afraid of being deceived by the New Age movement. He said, well, you could just trust me for five minutes. I said, I never, never thought of that. How many believe God could be trusted for five minutes to keep you while you're praying? Amen? He can. So here's the value of journaling. Because when I journal, I quiet myself down, fix my eyes on Jesus, tune to flow, and when flow kicks in, I don't say, hmm, I just write in simple childlike faith. And I just keep right on writing and writing and writing. Because I know that when the flow is all done, then I can go back and I can say, hmm. And I can submit it to Scripture and test it, but then I'm not jamming the receiver. I've already captured 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes of flow. If that makes sense, say amen. 
So journaling is a tool that lets you stay in faith for an extended period of time knowing you can test it later. Journaling is a tool that lets you stay in faith for an extended period of time knowing that you can test it later and therefore it's worth a million dollars to me. Because now I can stay in faith. I can tune to flow, stay in faith for 20 minutes at a crack and receive 20 minutes of God talking to me. These are the four keys. We're going to spend the whole weekend just expanding these four keys. All right. Key number one is to do what? Just tell me what it is. Quiet myself down. Key number two is to look for vision. Key number three is to tune to spontaneity. Recognize God's voice as spontaneous thoughts. And key number four is to journal it out. Now we can make this really simple. Just four simple words so it doesn't get complex. First word would be stillness. Let's say it together. Stillness. Second word would be vision. Let's say it together. Vision. Third word is spontaneity. Let's say it together. Spontaneity. And the fourth word is journaling. Let's say it together. Journaling. All right, let's say all four words. Stillness, vision, spontaneity, and journaling. One more time. Stillness, vision, spontaneity and journaling. Now there's hand motions. Get your hands ready. Here we go. Ready? Stillness, vision, spontaneity, and journaling. One more time together with the hand motions. Here we go. Stillness, vision, spontaneity, and journaling. How many of those four keys do you think I'd like you to use if you want to hear God's voice? All four. If you use all four at one time, guess what will happen? You will hear the voice of God. Is it a money-back guarantee? Yes. Who gives you the money back? John or not. Yes. Amen. All right. That's probably enough learning for the first hour, don't you think? All right. So we're going to call it a close uh, to the first session. And we'll come back in a few minutes and do another session. How often do you journal and what do you do with it? All right, how often do I journal and what do I do with it? I think we all go through different stages. Uh, during the first year that I journaled, the Lord told me to journal every, every day. And I journaled like at least five days a week on an average and uh, did that for basically a year. And the next year after that, the Lord said, now we're going to work on something else. We're going to work on abiding in Christ. And it's not a matter of, of journaling every day. It's a matter of living in my presence every day and taking that ability and just living it out throughout the entire day. So... For the next year, I didn't feel a, a need to journal every single day. You know, it was more an abiding relationship. Other periods of my life, I'm back to more intense journaling. So it's in and out. You know, I, I so I journal on a regular, ongoing basis, and it's really the the spirit leads me. You know, sometimes very intense. Uh, sometimes we work on a book. You know, we've written 60 books, and those are, as far as I'm concerned, journal revelation from God. You know, so we may spend three, four weeks. You know, six, eight hours a day just releasing revelation on paper that way. So it's uh, very flexible. Do you ever go back and uh, reread those journals? Yeah, I, I often go back and reread the journals. Um, and, and some of the stuff goes into books, becomes books a, a lot, because I journal a lot about principles of truth, because I'm a teacher, so I journal in the area that I, is my ministry gift, so I journal about truth, and then those principles get laid out in books. Okay. Another question was asked, and you talked about the flow of God coming mm -hmm. you know, through. Does it ever come through our analytical mind? Yeah, spirit-anointed reasoning. <laughs> we will talk about that some tonight and some tomorrow. Okay. okay. Joseph. 
real simple. What happens when you're spending time with the Lord and then you ask for an answer or direction or guidance and then you get two conflicting visions or thoughts and there's just uncertainty? Okay. Well, if I got two convicting, convict, uh, con conflicting is the word, conflicting visions or thoughts, I'm not going to move on either one, not until it becomes clear. We're going to have to let the whole thing simmer, you know, it's obviously not clear, and uh, we're going to have to wait until it becomes clear. So I don't mind waiting until things get, get clear, and uh, probably some of the things I'm going to teach you is, will, in the next few days will help you understand why those thoughts were conflicting in the first place. Hello, Mark. Hi. My question is, for those of us who are and can be extremely analytical and detail-oriented, uh -huh. left okay. brain, like myself, um, might not be too inclined to journal in the right sense of the word because of possible traumatic and or emotional issues, also including spiritual maturity, uh, reasons known and unknown, experience unrest, confusion, doubt, anxiety, fear, etc. And the second part is, like some of these people can write and write very well. Uh, I believe in faith that they would like to conquer this area, rise to the challenge, and discover more of his freedom and love in this area. What's going on? Okay. <laughs> Good question. So if I'm badly, I'm, I'm analytical. I mean, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm giving you four ways, four keys to hearing God's voice. You know, a right brainer doesn't give you four keys. He says, you know that you know that you know. So um, I'm analytical, and I'm giving you a 333-page book on how to do it. So I'm a left brainer, and I had to battle with that issue a lot. And I will describe a lot tonight and tomorrow, of the battles I've had, all right, and, and the victories I've won and how I've had to fight those battles. And, and those have to be fought. You have to remove the God of rationalism, which we will talk about tonight, and uh, replace it with Christianity, okay? Fear, doubt, and unbelief, send, send them to hell. They came from hell. It's just demons saying, I don't think so, right? I mean, that's what Satan said in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Go to hell. You know, go to a warmer climate. Get out of here. Amen? Yeah, go ahead. Give the Lord a hand. Amen? Yeah, why not? You know, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and by that men take it by force. So Satan's going to try to become violent with me with, with doubt and unbelief. I'm going to become violent with him and say, Out! Doubt, leave in the name of Jesus. Fear, leave in the name of Jesus. I'm a believer. I believe the Bible works in me. I believe what God said is true in me. That settles it. Amen? If you don't like it, lump it. You know, I just get angry, all right, because I've tried doubt and I've tried fear and I hate them both. I lived in, I was a mighty man of fear for so many years, it made me so sick, you know. I went to Word of Faith Church for five years because God said, go there and learn faith, all right. I've learned faith. So doubt has got to be cast out and removed and I'll tell you stories of how I battled through doubt and came to faith.